want to bring you a lesson again in the Psalms. We're in the ninth Psalm. It has 20 verses, and we want to try to expound on these verses. And this Psalm, this ninth Psalm, is a Psalm of praise. And in the first few verses, a couple of verses, David reveals a joyful purpose, and that purpose is praise. And he tells us in verse 1 that this praise should be wholehearted. It is a praise to God. He says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. We need wholehearted praise. We don't want any half-hearted praise to God. We really want to mean it, don't we? You know, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we want to always offer our praises straight to the Lord. I will, he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I want you to notice in these two verses, the first two, how many times you find the word I will. And we'll read them and come back and expound some more. He says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O, most, o thou most high. Four times in these two verses do we find the word I will. Well, that's a determination on his part to praise God. And it's a determination to have a wholehearted praise to God. And we find in Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it is, if I can find it for you, the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter, I want you to notice what it says here, and verse 15, it says, by him, by, that is by the Lord Jesus Christ, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we're told not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament to praise God. And then we find that these two verses reveal something else. It says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Now then, he's going to testify of the Lord too, to show forth all his marvelous works. We need to praise him and his praises due for all of his marvelous works. When we think of God's marvelous works, what do we think of? We think of His works of creation. We think of the fact that the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. We think of His marvelous works in providence, and His marvelous works in redemption. Redemption is a marvelous work. He's redeemed us by His blood. And God's Word has provided for us the message of redemption and salvation. But think of His work in providence for us. The providential dealings of God. Did you know it's by God's providence that we're here tonight? It's by the Lord's providential dealings and purpose in our lives that we are where we are at this very moment. Let alone uh, where we dwell, where we live, where we the people we associate with. And so he has a marvelous uh, work of providence as well as all the many other things we could name. And then it, notice it says, I will be glad and rejoice in thee in this verse 2. We need to praise him with joy. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Praise the, his name in song. It says, I will be glad. We need to be joyful. 
And then he says, praise in song. I will sing praise to thy name. So we not only rejoice, but we sing praises. James says in James 5 verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Would you all check the nursery and make sure if if, uh, Mary needs some help back there or whatever. So we need to praise him in song. Now then, the foundation of praise you'll find in verse 3. He is a mighty sovereign. In verse 3. It says, When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. Think of God's presence and his power. When mine enemies are turned back. God is able to turn our enemies back from us. And it says, They shall fall and perish at thy presence. When we think of God being omnipresent, God is everywhere present. God is all-powerful. He's sovereign. In uh, the book of Psalms 24, let me read a verse for you. Psalm 24 and verse uh, 8, I believe it is. It says this, Who is the King of glory, the Lord uh, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, so He can turn back our enemies. He is mighty in battle. He's strong and He's powerful. And in verse 4, we see that He is a righteous God and a righteous judge. Look look at verse 4. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. God is the one that maintains our cause. Thou hast. Look in verse 5. For thou hast rebuked. Verse 5. Thou hast destroyed. Thomas attributes all the works that we find in this psalm to God's power. Thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Isn't it good to have someone to stand up for you and for your rights and for your cause? That's what the psalmist was saying. He says, I have someone, and he's not only powerful and mighty, and the enemies are turned back at his presence, and he can turn the battle for our uh, victory, but he is the one that maintains our cause and our right. We have another scripture that says, If God be for us, who can be against us, right? So if God is on your side, never worry. Never fret. We go around just worrying and fretting and fuming about everything. Sometimes in the midst of our turbulence, in the midst of the storms of life. And if we could just realize that God is on our side... And he's going to maintain our right and our cause. I can think, you know, we are reminded occasionally of the history of this church. Randy's been with us nearly seven years. And this coming summer will be seven years. When we think of the history of this church and all the uh, different, I'd say, uh, troubles and trials and storms that it's gone through. And I've always felt sure that God would maintain our cause and our right. And he has. This will be 36 years in February that we've been in this church. And, you know, I'm not going to go back and bring up all the problems because, you know, I don't need to do that. But I just will tell you that through the years there have been many, not just one or two. I mean, if God had not maintained our right and our cause, we wouldn't be here today. But every time the battle would get thick and heavy, God would always come through and he'd say, okay, I know that this church is standing for what's right. The preacher's standing for what's right. The deacons are standing for what's right. The people are standing for what's right. And then others would have to go their way. 
that didn't approve of what was right and the cause being right. Because God will stick with you if you'll just stick with Him. He's, he's uh, just and He's faithful in all that He does. And He has power to perform and He will make sure that everything turns out, out okay. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou settest in the throne judging right. Didn't Abraham say, will not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, sometimes we're worried whether people will receive justice or not at the hands of God. You can rest assured that everything that's said and done, in our case and in the case of every individual that's ever lived and died, that God will be just in dealing with it. He's going to deal exactly in a just way. And so people worry about, you know, sometimes we think of those that maybe not uh, do not have enough uh, mentality to really know if they're trusting the Lord as their own personal Savior or the meaning of salvation. God's going to take care of them. I'm not worried about them at all. God is going to deal justly with them. He's going to, to consider... It, the Bible says in Psalm 103, He knows a man. And He knows that we are weak. He considers our weakness. Let me re- read that in Psalm 103. Look at it. We read it, I think, the other night. might do us good to, to uh, remember what it says. Psalm 103, it says in verse uh, 13 and 14, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And it says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. See, God understands the weaknesses of every individual. And He knows when, when uh, people that we may think do not have enough uh, mentality to realize what the saving knowledge of Christ is. The Lord knows all about them. He knows about all about the heathen. He knows about every man on the face of this earth and whether they've rejected Him even though they may have never heard of Him. It says, when they knew knew not God and they did not like to retain Him in His knowledge, He knows that people are rebelling against God. God is going to be a just judge and a righteous judge. And by the way, you and I need to be reluctant or slow to say that any person uh, ever went to hell. Uh, It's not ours to judge that. Now then, we may understand by how they lived that uh, they were not living a Christian life. We may... Uh, look at their life and say, well, they must have been, maybe they were, probably they were unsaved. But we don't know what happens at that last moment. We don't know their very heart. In spite of all the bad things, we don't know their heart. We just don't know their heart. And only God Almighty knows that. And so we, we don't need to be sitting in judgment upon anyone. All right? For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou Thou sattest in the throne judging right. Now look at this. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. So God knows how to deal with the wicked. He demonstrates His righteous righteous anger against sin. Now God will judge sin. But it's up to Him to do it. And we know that His Word tells that He's going... Thou hast rebuked the wicked. Thou hast destroyed the... Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. In the book of Second Peter, let me read for you chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, 
but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So we find that God's patience, I have a message, when God's patience wears out. When God's patience wears out. With the angels that sinned, with the wicked world in Noah's day, with the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day, and his, his patience are going to run out with a wicked world uh, soon enough in our own day. And he demonstrates his righteous anger against sin. Verse 5 and 6. Hold your place in our text. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. Remember, we just read of Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't we? Thou hast destroyed what? Cities, their memorial is perished with them. And that God destroyed cities in the Old Testament. He will destroy cities in the future, too, when he brings judgment. He is an everlasting God and will bring all men into judgment. Acts chapter 17, verse 31, the Bible says that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world, listen carefully, in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. That he is, he has given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is God's guarantee that there's going to be a day of judgment. And Christ is going to be the judge. He has appointed Christ as judge and he's appointed a day of judgment. So it does make a difference how we live this life. It does make a difference how we, uh, whether or not a person receives Christ as Lord and Savior. It does make a difference because we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, even as Christians. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 7. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He hath endure, The Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. So before judgment comes, there needs to be a place of refuge. And we need to take refuge. Look in verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. Well, verse 8, we didn't read that. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. In the Old Testament, they had cities of refuge. Remember when they had six cities on either side of Jordan so that they were easily acceptable and accessible, I should say, to all. So on either side of Jordan, they had a place to run for refuge. God has made a refuge for people. He, he had a, a refuge for the, the world in Noah's day, and many would not avail themselves of it. He said to Noah in uh, Genesis 7, I believe it's verse 1, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. He said, come. He didn't say go, by the way. The Lord was on the inside. 
He says, come thou. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So all men have to do is come, and they'll find the refuge. And you know the reason people do not have the refuge? They will not come. They will not seek that refuge. Uh, John the Baptist said, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So there was a, there's a wrath to come, and men need to flee to that place of refuge. And we find the place in Jesus, and that's the only place of refuge for a sinful world today. People take refuge in their education. People take refuge in their position. People take refuge in their security as far as finances are concerned. And there's no true refuge except the Lord. Because all these other things are temporal. Well, I know a lot of people in this day and hour, there's been men that have been laid off from the best jobs that a person could have. So you can't take refuge in your standing on your job, your positions. You can't take refuge in your finances because many people have had millions and lost it all. You say, that'll never happen to me. The Bible tells us that that money takes wings and it flies away. You know, <laughs> you read the, the Scriptures and that's what it says. It says it has wings. We know that's true, don't we? So uh, you can't take refuge in that. It's good to try to be thrifty. It's good to save. You ought to save the most you can to try to take care of your, your business, your finances. And that's just uh, sensible. And that's uh, uh, the way you ought to. That's wise. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that you can say, well, I found my refuge in what I have. You can't do that. You, you can't find your refuge in material things or in physical things or in... A society or in education or anything. The ref, your refuge is in the Lord. And before judgment comes, a place of refuge is provided. Before God will bring judgment, look at these verses again. Verse 7 through 9. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed and a refuge in times of trouble. Before the judgment falls and when the trouble is upon us, he will be a refuge for the oppressed. We need to realize that there is a place of refuge for every one of us. Let's look at verse 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast, for, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. If you know the Lord's name and you put your trust in him, he says, Thou hast not forsaken, thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Remember the Bible says, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord uh, says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's not going to forsake us. Do you think that you'll be forsaken? And the prophets, and we preached on it one time, God says, Behold, I have graven thee in the palms of my hands. You're there. You're part of Him. You're His possession. Jesus said that we will be in His hands, and He will keep us there in His hands. And He'll take care of us. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then he says, I and my Father are one. Have you ever realized, do you really realize your position in the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that He's provided? You're in, you're in Christ's hands. 
you're in God's hands and you're with Christ and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're in the hand of God and Christ is with you. You're with Christ and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So for the devil or any force that would try to uh, get to you and your security, first of all, they'll have to break the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, God himself. It's not just sealed with, but he, the person, is is the one you're sealed by. So you'd have to be stronger than the Spirit of God. And I've uh, been under the presence and power of the Spirit of God, and I'm not very strong in his presence. When he says something, you better do it then and there. So you'd have to break the seal of the Holy Spirit. Then they'd have to open the hand of God and rest you away from Christ, then take you out of God's hand. You'd have to do The Bible says that who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And the Bible says there's nothing. You read Romans 8, neither death nor life, nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. There's not anything now or that will come in the future, nor height, nor depth, nor death or life, any other creature. And Paul just sums it up and says, nor any other creature, anything you can think of shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I, I don't see how any preacher can preach the Bible and not preach security. I said that this morning and say it again tonight. If you're God's child, you belong to Him. There's nothing in this world that can change that. Someone says, suppose I lose myself. Well, I don't know how you could do that when He says He's the Good Shepherd and He says He knows His sheep and they follow Him. And He gives them eternal life. He takes care of that. The Bible says you're kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. And so God's power is upon us, and He will take care of us. Oh, I know we fear a lot of times because we're sinners, and we become afraid, and we become bewildered, and we become troubled, and we say, well, what if I do this and the Lord doesn't accept me? Or what if I do that and it separates me from God? Well, you come back to these scriptures that tell you that, that He's not going to give you up under any circumstances. Jesus said, Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. What does that mean? Not under any given circumstances. Not in, under any condition. I will just not cast them out. So, preach the Bible, accept the Bible, and rest assured in God's promises. Look at verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. He de and declare among the people His doings. Look. Singing and preaching. First, the first part of it says, Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. And then it says, Declare among the people His doings. Declare what He does. Sing about Him and then preach about Him. Both things are included here. We should realize that that's ours to, to do. There is a place where He loves to dwell. He says, He dwelleth in Zion. And you know we're dwelling in Zion in a sense when we dwell close to, to the Lord and when He dwells in us. Uh, it says in Exodus 29:45, And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And in the New Testament, Jesus says that we abide in Him, He abides in us, and we both abide in the Father. And so we tells us that we're abiding in one another. There's a place where we dwell. 
And then in verse 12, when he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Look at verse 12. He will make a thorough investigation of all who had a part in persecuting his people in due time. Notice it says, when he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. The humble cry out of the humble cry of the poor saints shall be heard. It says, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. So when we realize that we may be poor, we may be uh, having ourselves put down by others, we may even feel unworthy ourselves, God's not going to forget our cry. Verse 13 says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me, that thou liftest me up from the gates of death. Have mercy upon me. Need God's mercy in sickness and in sin, in despair and in temptation. We need His mercy and His grace in all things. David pleaded for mercy. He needed mercy in, in time of trouble. And he had, he had been delivered before. He promised to give the Lord public praise for it all. Look at that verse again. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in thy salvation. In trouble, and the Lord deliver you and have mercy upon you. Have you been delivered from the, the troubles of life? Well, then what are we to do? Show forth his praise, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. You and I ought to be thankful in public and before others and before God's children when he delivers us from all the troubles that we face and when he extends his mercies to us. Psalm 51, David, after his terrible sin that he sinned against God, he said, Have mercy, mercy upon me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. According to, listen, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So he's saying that God has a multitude of mercies. No, of tender mercies. You know, it's one thing to have mercy. It's another thing to have a multitude of mercies. And then it's an even greater thing to have a multitude of tender mercies. You see how it, it excels and, and climbs up? You say, God has shown mercy to me. That's one thing. God has shown uh, a multitude of mercies to me. God has shown a multitude of tender mercies to me. In dealing with us, He deals with us in tender mercies. Okay, let's look at the next verse. Verse 15 says, uh, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they, they hid is their own foot taken. You set a trap. You know, the wicked set a trap for, for uh, the righteous, and they get their foot in their own trap, don't they? I've, had that, I've seen that happen time and again. In fact, if I could tell you some experiences here in Riodosa where people have set traps for me, and they end up in trouble. That's very trouble that they thought they were setting for me, just like, kind of like, you know, old Haman built a gallows for Mordecai, didn't he? And, and he was hanged on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. 
It just doesn't pay to try to set traps for other people. You might get caught in it. You know, you may be out there in the dark someday and stumble into your own trap. So you better make sure that, you know, if you set a trap, that it's God that's setting the trap and not you. And by the way, the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You don't have to worry about it. Someone says, What am I going to do about my enemies? What am I going to do about those people that that, uh, give me so much problems? Give me so much trouble. Turn them over to God. That's all you need to do. The Bible says, No weapon. This is uh, Isaiah 54. I believe it's verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Listen carefully. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So our righteousness is of the Lord. No weapon will harm us. Every tongue that accuses us, thou shalt condemn. And it says, uh, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is our inheritance. And it says servants of the Lord. So make sure we're servants of God, then we don't have anything to worry about. All right, let's go on with this. It says in verse uh, 16, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higayon. Selah. The word Selah means think about that, that God, or it's a rest or pause in music. It has very many uh, various descriptions of the meaning of the word Selah. And uh, there's been page after page written on it, so don't think we know it all about the word Selah. But anyway, uh, many think that it was like in a musical term, a place for a pause. Uh, some say that it, it means just stop and rest a while. Or it means to excel or to pick up the pitch or the, the note or the tune. Or it means simply, what about that? Just stop and think about it a minute. So I like that word, what do you think of that? What do you think of the fact that God judges the wicked and he lets them fall into their own trap? What do you think about that? Isn't that kind of good to think about? That you don't have to worry about them then. So it says... The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. Uh, the wicked is snared in it, the work of his own hands. Selah. Verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Sometimes there are whole nations that are wicked. Nations of men. But the wicked among them shall be turned into hell. And all nations that forget God. It's time to, as we've been reminded earlier, that our nation, our whole country, as brother, I believe Brother Walker prayed earlier, turn back to God. And, and that God has spared us because we are uh, at least a professed godly nation. And not a possessed or practicing, but at least professed. And we pray that it will be more in practice and more in the morals and more in the, in the, in the whole country. And that uh, we could get rid of all this violence and crime and, and terrible things that are happening. The only way is for God to do something in the hearts of individuals. He's not going to do it on a national scale. He's going to do it by making various individuals different people. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, James says, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not forth even from your own lusts, which war in your souls? What about all these wars in the other countries? It's lust for power and for land and for gain. 
or for because of pride. All, it all comes from the hearts of men. Do you know all the wars, all the things that are wrong with our world today comes from within the hearts of men? Isn't that a sad situation? That men cannot learn that they need God and get their lives straightened out and turn and live the kind of life that would be pleasing to God and then we'll be acceptable with one another and we can get along with one another. The Bible says how sweet it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Look at Psalm 133, it tells you. Look at it. Turn over there. I'd like for you to read this. Psalm 133, there's only three verses. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I'd rather have a church with 30, 40, 50 people and have unity than have a thousand that, did, that was not in unity. And I really mean that. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments and the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there, look at this. You know God's word is divinely inspired. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I get amused at these new translations and people think that people are so ignorant they can't understand the Bible. I don't find anything complicated about that, do you? How can you improve upon that? Uh, Ms. Falls showed me a book the other day, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. And we read it, and, and there's a little new translation. It's more like a commentary. If you want to use those kind of Bibles for commentaries, okay, take them for that value. But then, when you quote the Word of God, listen. I want to, to give you a verse of Scripture, and you see how complicated it is for you to understand it. And this is the one that we read, Ms. Falls, if you'll remember. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. The Bible says, the Word of God... Now, see how complicated this is. This is the King James Version. The Word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Is that complicated? I was reading that, and we read it in the little translation, so-called, that she had. And Mrs. Falls and I discussed it, and Brother Randy was there. And, you know, I don't find it a bit more plain. In fact, I find that it robs you of some spiritual things. Because it says in the last part, in, before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, listen carefully. Before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That means that our whole life, not only how we live, but our very inmost being, our spiritual relationship, our fellowship with God, all of that God is concerned about and he sees it all. And I believe the word that was written there, it says that we're answer, answerable. Now listen to the difference. We're answerable to God for how we live. It's more than that. It's deeper than that, see? And so what I'm saying is a lot of these, not just that one, but many others of these new translations that come along, really rob you of some spirituality. That's what it does. They rob you of the spiritual impact of the book. Of the Bible. When they think, you know, it's just like uh, uh, there was a word mentioned about covenant 
or agreement. As if we couldn't understand the word covenant and to put the word agreement in there and we'd understand it. You know, do you know, as if we had not enough sense, listen, to take a dictionary and look up the meaning or even the Bible. We've been familiar with it for years. We know what a new covenant is. We know what the covenant placed upon the blood of Christ is, don't we? And founded by the blood of Christ, we know the old covenant under the law, the old uh, covenant of law. And you see, what I'm saying is that it's not hard for people to understand. And yet we find that these, these, a lot of these people think that we're so ignorant that we don't know, understand anything. Give people credit for something. And, and so uh, take the King James, King James Version of the Bible and study it because it has some spiritual impact in there. It has some spiritual meaning. And maybe a lot of things are meant for us to study out a little more than to be made so simple that they lose their spiritual impact. Maybe they're that way. And I appreciated uh, Edna showing me that because, you know, to me, after we looked at it a while, I appreciated it very much because some of these things, you know, people get a hold of. They may be endorsed by the biggest preachers in the country, but that doesn't make it acceptable because uh, just because Billy Graham puts his name or some of the great evangelists in the country. And I'm not saying anything against him. He's a good preacher. I love to hear him. And I... I'll never hold a light to what he's done in this world. But I'm thankful for his message. But on the other hand, I'm just saying because a big name goes to it doesn't make it that all that uh, uh, valuable. Stick with your Bible. Stick with the King James Version of the Bible. And let the Word of God speak to you. Let's go ahead and finish this. It says um, in uh, verse 18, For the needy shall not uh, always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. God is not going to forget the poor. He's not going to forget the needy. It's, it says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. So he's saying, Lord, don't let man prevail against me. God will judge uh, nations and cities and individuals. And man was, is not going to prevail. The wicked are going to be turned into hell. And all nations that forget God. The needy shall not be forgotten. And God will hear and answer the prayers of those that call upon him. Their reward is going to come. Last verse says, put them in fear. I had a lot more things I wanted to say, but our time is gone. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. You know, isn't it amazing that nations, that he says, put them in fear that the nations may know that they are but men. That all men upon this earth, how mighty they may think they are, might finally come to realize that they are but men. That we all have feet of clay. We talk about great men. There's no great men, really. All are but men. We may think some have more honor and more prestige and more uh, recognition than others, but we all but men. And I think a lot of times in our country, people have looked at uh, uh, great leaders, uh, among men and say, oh boy, we put them up on too high of a pedestal and all of a sudden they come falling down, don't they? And that's been done, excuse me, our time is gone. That's been done in these last few years with preachers too, hasn't it? Put them up high. First thing you know, we find, boy, they fall about. You know, the higher you are, the lower you can fall. So sometimes it might not pay to get as high. You better kind of keep on an even keel, you know, because the higher you get... The harder you fall. 
And the further it is down, 